Tomorrow, our son, Nate, will celebrate his birthday. He's doing very well, thank, thank you for asking. <clears throat> but I'm not thinking about his birthday tomorrow so much as I am thinking about the day he was born. It was also a Monday. I had an early appointment that day with Julie's OBGYN to do a checkup. She was due in four days, but the doctor was concerned about some things that had come up before in a previous checkup and said, why don't you come in on the Monday of, that, of your due week? So we did sat down in her office, she checked her blood pressure, did some other things as part of the physical exam, and then she said, I, I'm a little concerned, your blood pressure is high, I think you're experiencing gestational diabetes, there's some other issues I wanna want be sure that we look at here carefully, but nonetheless, um, we really need to schedule a C-section. Uh, we, need, we need to bring this baby into the world. Well, I was sitting there and I heard the word schedule, and so I, I reached down into my briefcase, I took my briefcase, can you believe that? I reached into my briefcase, I pulled out my day timer. Do you remember day timers? Those things we used to write our schedule in. I opened it up and I said, um, okay, I have a very busy schedule this week, but I could make this happen on, on Friday at two or three. The doctor looked at Julie and said, is he always this clueless? She said, Julie said to the doctor, speak slowly, don't use big words, he'll understand. The doctor turned to me and said, you are going to have a baby today. <laughs> Nod your head if you understand. <laughs> she said to us, we can't wait any longer. It's already too late. That little boy had to come into the world to be greeted by his mom and dad. Mark's gospel ends with a similar word. Did you hear it as it was read this morning? It was already late. It's kind of a surprising end to the story. It begins as our service has begun today with, with powerful music, with beautiful singing, with dancing and praising to, to God. Hosanna, Hosanna to the one in the highest. Palm branches are waved. Children are dancing. Cloaks are laid on the, on the road in front of him. He's on the back of a donkey and the celebration, the parade is amazing. You almost expect him to, to come in to the temple and begin preaching and maybe hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands would come to hear him and this movement, this Jesus movement would really finally take off and just explode into Jerusalem with the good news of God's love for the world. Instead, there's this reticent end uh, of Jesus just sort of looking around and Mark, Mark's gospel says it was already late. And so he went back to Bethany, which would have been a hike of a few miles back around the Mount of Olives in the direction they'd already come. It seems strange, but I, I believe what Mark is trying to do is he's wanting to set us up for what's about to happen in the week we call holy. With the, the darkness and the, and the fear of the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will fall on his knees, fall on his face and beg for another path, for another way. Sweat drops of blood for the darkness of a Friday morning when his own disciples, his best friends in the world will deny, betray, abandon, hide, leave him to die alone. On that day we call good and the one who came proclaiming love of neighbor, love of enemy, will be strung up on a cross and killed brutally by the religious and political leaders who've conspired to take his life. 
You see, I think, I think what Mark's wanting to do is he's, he's trying to grab us. I think he wants to grab hold of us. His gospel is the shortest and the quickest moving. There's this dynamic energy that's there in, in the gospel of Mark. In fact, Mark's favorite word is the word euthus in Greek. In English, it means immediately. You heard it in the text this morning. The word immediately appears in the Bible, in the New Testament, 59 times. 41 of those appearances are in Mark's gospel. Immediately this, immediately that. Mark doesn't start with the sweet uh, birth stories and Christmas and no, no. He starts with Jesus getting dunked in the River Jordan and then bam, let's go. He's on to his ministry. And then immediately Jesus went here. And then immediately Jesus healed this one. And then immediately and immediately. Do you see what's happening? There's this power in there, this, this quickness. He wants to make sure we're paying attention. Don't, don't, don't fall asleep. Don't let your, your cell phone buzz. Don't, don't do anything. Just pay attention all the way through. Matthew and Luke, they had all sorts of details, marvelous quotes, a couple long sermons from Jesus. John has these lengthy philosophical and theological explanations for what's going on with Jesus and the world and the church and all of that. Not Mark. He's cutting to the chase. And he's basically saying, on this day, the music's faded. The palms have been laid down. It's already late. Are you willing to follow Jesus? Are you willing to go with him this week? Are, are you willing to go, as it were, into the darkness even? Knowing. Knowing what we know about the story. Are you willing to go? You see, Mark's gospel was probably written, written 20 or so years after Jesus' death and resurrection. But it was still dangerous to follow him. It still meant that your life might not necessarily be easy if you were going to give yourself to the way of Jesus, to the way of love, to the way of grace, to the way of forgiveness, to the way of mercy. If you were still going to be willing to do that, it might not be an easy path to follow. Are you willing to go with Jesus even if there's a cross at the end of the week? Now, I, I want to let you know, I, I don't necessarily like preaching sermons like this. I have a friend in Georgia who says, this is an eat your vegetables kind of sermon, you know? <laughs> the kind of sermon where you, you, you got a beautiful piece of steak and some lovely mashed potatoes, but you better eat the green beans too because you need the green beans. Frankly, I'd rather preach lemon meringue pie sermons, you know? <laughs> Just sort of light and airy and fluffy and sweet, maybe a little crustiness there at the end, but you know, it's all, it's all lovely and sweet and there's nothing wrong with those kinds of sermons. Sometimes we need those, but today Mark, Mark won't let us off the hook. He's not backing down. He's letting us know, you know the story. You know how it ends. You know he will be falsely accused. You know that he will be given the death penalty. You know that he will be put to death. And what about you? Are you willing to give your life over to this one? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get God's word of, of, of unconditional love out on the streets of Columbus, out on the, the highways and byways of Ohio, the United States of America, and around the world? Are you willing to do anything and everything to get that word out there? That's the question that Mark is asking. My friend Adam Hamilton, who's preached in this pulpit about a year or so ago, says to his staff every year when they go on retreat, are we willing to do whatever it takes to share this good news of Jesus Christ with our neighbors and our friends, both near and far? Are we willing to do whatever it takes? Are we willing to let God's love guide us in everything we do and say. Are we? You see, what Mark wants is the truth. He wants us to tell the truth of who we are. 
He wants us to recognize the truth of who Jesus is, to see the truth in, the, in his way of life and the way of his teachings, and to pay attention to the truth of our own lives. I mean, for, for example, if we're going to be about truth-telling, is there someone that you need to forgive? Someone that you've held a grudge against for days or weeks, maybe years? but you enjoy gnawing on that bone of anger, thinking that, of that possibility of sweet revenge where you can make them feel as bad as they made you feel someday? Or are you willing to let the way of forgiveness guide you? Or what about the flip side? Are you in need of forgiveness? Is there someone you've hurt? Someone you've, you've caused pain that you desperately need to hear from? for forgiveness. Are you willing to tell them the truth, to speak the truth, to tell the truth about yourself? This is not an easy path to follow. You know, it's, it's Pastor John Ortberg, who's a good preacher out in, out in California, who says anytime the idea of truth-telling comes up in the church, he thinks of two quotes. The first one's from a movie. Do you remember the movie, A Few Good Men? Not, nod your head if you remember that movie. Some of you remember it? Yeah, great film with Jack Nicholson who plays this Marine officer who is, is in, in command of a, of a young man whose life has been lost and now he's in, in trial. He's on trial for this man's life and whatever has happened around it. And Tom Cruise plays this young attorney, this, this slapdash attorney who wants to get to the truth of things. In fact, Cruise, in the, in the cross-examination of Jack Nicholson in that famous courtroom scene, he's looking at him, he's saying, I'll, all I want is the truth. And Nicholson, he kind of leans forward. Remember the scene? He gets that kind of, his face gets all gritty, his mouth gets gritty, and he says, you, you know the line, can't handle the truth. On the other hand, Pastor John says, there's Jesus, who says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So the question then is, are we going to believe Jesus or Jack Nicholson. <laughs> you know, I, I told that story a, a few years ago. I was, I was a, a theologian in residence at a church out in, out in Oregon. I preached on a Sunday morning for them, and they had a series of services every, every night that week, Monday through Thursday. And one of the nights that I preached, I told that story. And at the back door, this sweet little lady, about 87 pounds, I think she was 138 years old. <laughs> she came through the line, and she shook my hand, and she said, I know I'm supposed to like Jesus, but I sure like Jack Nicholson better. <laughs> And that's kind of a summary, isn't it? That's kind of a summary, isn't it? Sometimes we kind of like Jack Nicholson better. Sometimes we kind of want to get in the world's face. And we kind of want to let them know how we feel. Thinking, you can't handle the truth. When we know, when we know in our heart of hearts that the way of Jesus is truth. The way of Jesus is life. And the life that comes from telling the truth, from receiving the love, from proclaiming the forgiveness is a way that sets us on the path toward freedom. Are we willing to walk toward the truth of Jesus, knowing there may even be a price to pay for it? Are we willing? Another another of my favorite movies of all time is A Man for All Seasons. Came out way back in the 60s, but it's a beautiful story of a man named Thomas More, Sir Thomas More, 
who refused to offer his blessing to the king. More, though, is brought on trial. The king wants him to be punished for his refusal. A friend of Sir Thomas More's is brought in to the trial. This friend tells a lie about Sir Thomas. The lie will send Thomas More to death. He will be taken out of the courtroom and killed because of the lie and the betrayal of his friend. But his friend was promised by the king, if you will tell this story in court, if you will betray your friend, I'll give you the rule of Wales. I think the term was exchequer. You'll be the exchequer, the ruler of Wales. The lie is spoken. The decree is made. He's sentenced to death. And as Sir Thomas More walks out of the courtroom, he stops in front of his friend, the betrayer, and he says, the Bible proclaims that one might sell one's soul for the whole world, but for whales? <laughs> Sometimes we're, we're willing, aren't we, to check the way we know that is true, to check the way we know that, is, that leads to life and, and sell it for a moment of quiet, a moment of peace. We don't want to watch CNN or Fox. We don't want to read the newspapers. We don't want to think about anything hard or difficult that's going on in the world. Just want to cocoon away and just, just find a little ice cream and get over ourselves. Instead, there is this day about a parade and a joy and a celebration and wonder and excitement, and it ends, and it ends in quiet because everyone knows when the parade is done, when the party is over, when the vows have been spoken in the wedding ceremony, when the graduation has completed and the next day has come, the question that hangs over all of us in those moments is how will you now live? In what way will you follow? Is Jesus our little buddy that we bring out at, at times like a mascot on big Sundays like Easter and Christmas and celebrate and then push him off to the side again? Or is Jesus the one who was life, death, Resurrection and teachings lead us in how to live our lives. Are we going to follow this one who's taught us that love of friend and neighbor is not enough, that we're also to love our enemy? Are we going to go with him in his weakness and his pain, his sorrow and his loneliness, and see in that a reflection of the very divinity that is within him? You see, Mark is presenting us an image not of power and prestige for the church. It's not about a Super Bowl parade. It's not about being number one. It's about the willingness to have the courage because it's already late to step into the darkness. The darkness of doubt, of fear, even of death. I've seen, I've seen it happen in the church. I know some of you have had darkness forced upon you. The diagnosis of a disease, the death of one you love so dearly. I've seen many walk into darkness. I remember a friend of mine, a Baptist preacher in, in Kansas City, who was dying. He'd gone into hospice. His wife called me and said, I, I don't think he's got many days left. Would you be willing to come see him? I'll meet you there. I said, yes. She was waiting in the chapel at the hospice. And we walked down the hallway, and she said, now, I want you to know the room will be very dark. He, when he first came in, the, the light from outside hurt his eyes, gave him a headache, so we, we keep the room dark, although, honestly, she said, he probably won't even stir or know you're there. 
She opened the door. Indeed, it was very dark. My eyes adjusted and I saw her walk over to the side of the bed. He was there lying on top of the covers in a fetal position. In this bright, cheery voice, she took a hold of his hand and she said, Good morning, sweetie. It's a beautiful day. I'm so glad to see you. Remember, I love you. She spoke words of hope and joy and life and love, even in the darkness of death. Are we willing to do the same? To take the words of the one who's spoken hope and love and joy and forgiveness to us and take those same words out into the world. I dare say the world today needs this word as much as it needed it 2,000 years ago. Are we willing to take it with us? God's love for us is the gospel message spoken in the darkness, but that's only part of it. God only, not only whispers to us, I love you, but also wants to know, what do you love? Where are your loyalties? Who has your heart? Tony Campolo, another good Baptist preacher, says, I believe the world is more hungry to see the love of God expressed in us and through us than it is to be dazzled by miracles that show off God's power. Do you hear what he's saying? We don't need miracles. The miracle of love actually being shown and demonstrated by the church of Jesus Christ will be more than enough. He's right. But Jesus' words to to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to, to forgive those who harm us, just seems so weak. I mean, I mean, right now the, the, the words coming out of Washington, D.C. Are, are filled with anger and violence and, and terror and war and rumors of war and threats and all kinds of, it almost sounds like a mafia movie that we're watching. It's just amazing. And all we've got to bring against that is Jesus and a donkey? And the answer is yes. Because it's enough. Because what he brings us, this one who rides into Jerusalem, this one who is as poor as a donkey that he sits upon comes with a power that comes not from the world, comes not from a stockpile of weapons or a pile of cash. It is instead the paradoxical strength of grace, mercy, hope, help. And so the question from Mark is quite simple. Are we willing to follow are we willing to go as far as necessary as Jesus calls us? Let me pause here for a moment. If you're a guest on this day, I, I want you to know something. I would love it if you'd be a member of our church. I'd love it if you would say to me at the door at the end of the service, I, I'd like to join this church. If you'd write your name down on a piece of paper for me, I'll make sure we get back to you this week and we'll do all, take all the steps it takes to get you to become a full member of this congregation. But I want not only our guests, all of our members to understand, membership in the church is not about getting your name on a roster. It is not about your name being in the database. It's not about getting an email from Glenn every Friday. All those things are fine and part of what we do and part of our practice, but being a member in the church is demonstrated by our willingness to follow Jesus, by our, by our ability to let God's love be our love. We're members of the church of Jesus Christ anytime we're kind and gracious, anytime we help another in need, a, cold, a cup of cold water to one who is thirsty, a blanket to one who is cold, a kind word to one who is sad. Every time, every time we act and live like that, we've become members of the church of Jesus Christ. In a moment, 
our choir is going to sing. The final words you'll hear them say are these. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. May those words guide us in everything we say and do.